The Three Down Greencast is brought to you by the Pile of Bones Brewing Company, Regina's only downtown brewery. open this edition of the Three Down Greencast on a somber note, as you may have missed the news earlier today, as it was released quietly through an Instagram story that friend of the show, friend of many, enemy of some, one fake gainer has decided to retire from Twitter. So with that in mind, we uh, we dedicate this episode to the uh, the memories and the fun that fake gainer had on Twitter over his uh, social media career, if that's thing uh, I, th- I think that's a thing today's day and age that's a thing that's probably a thing so faker this episode is for you until you eventually decide to come back because we all know what's happening yeah you're basically like hulk hogan you're we all know you're gonna unretire faker and and i'm hoping that the unretirement comes on the same week that him and i can finally have our pre-rider game punt off outside of new mosaic stadium so um he he did send me a a private message today when I said, I can't believe you're retiring, and it was just simply Wayne Gretzky crying, saying, I told Mess I wouldn't do this, so I feel like I need to cry <laughs> and say, I told Faker I wouldn't do this. Yeah, and uh, I mean, don't feel too bad for Faker, as uh, he is still going to be eating Subway, uh, an absorbent yes. amount of Subway for some reason. There's, uh, there's a lot of Subway on his Instagram stories, and uh, you start to wonder if he's like a Subway influencer now or something. Right, maybe maybe that's it. Maybe they told him to shut down the Twitter because he's like, you know, the sub man from Park Bag or something. Maybe that's going to be his new thing. Maybe he's going to relaunch, come out of nowhere. And and also, occasionally when it's cheat day AF, some Dairy Queen, some DQ. Perhaps, but I mean, Subway shouldn't really have been worried about his Twitter account because, I mean, he deletes his tweets every day anyway, so... It, it, it's true. I, I, I look there. There are some tweets that have been near and dear to my heart that he said some very nice things about me. Mm-hmm. And I can never find them. No, because they're, they're always gone. Del- always gone. Always missing. Just and like it, all- it's, it's, it's really too bad in a sense for me selfishly because I had the idea today to uh, write sort of a, a memorial to fake gainers Twitter account on three down nation. <laughs> It's pretty hard to do without some damn tweets. So <laughs> it, it's true. It, it, it's true. Well, I still might. Just... I still might do it. We'll see. I might be able to ga- gather some reaction now to people as I got a few tweets to that tweet that I had today. When I, I guess I broke the news. I don't know. Not really. I'm not gonna <laughs> pretend to take credit for that or anything like that. But um, Victor, I don't even know if you're still listening, bud. But uh, we'll miss you on Twitter, even though we uh, we know you'll be back. I, I've I've got the over under at uh, three weeks. Uh, uh, you taking the under on that one, Gasman? I'll take the over. Oh, I think he's he's, I, he's he's already been off for three. So what's another four, right? Oh no, good point. Good point. I just feel like there will be something like I feel like he won't be able to resist. There will be a moment like you know, conceding a safety will up four points <laughs> that the riders might do that he will have to come back up for and and be uncharacteristically upset. No, well, maybe. I, I think it would be more something so big that it makes him really happy. 
Like if Dan Clark scores another touchdown, he's gonna have to come on Twitter oh, for that, right? No, no, you're right. You're right. You want you want the big yeah a big man touchdown a big man or especially if it's Dan Clark because Dan Clark is like his boy. It's true. It's true. Or if you know the uh, the Riders uh, like shit kick the Bombers on Labor Day or something. Yeah, like you, we might not see a lot of the tweets, but they will be directed at Bomber fans probably. So if you look, if you go into his profile and click on tweets and replies, then you'll probably see him. <laughs> it's I, I I I would fully I would fully expect, and I will be I will try to lure him out of retirement, but by just goading him on. Hey, look, Faker, the Bombers are doing stuff and things like well, this week they did but... losing to backup quarterbacks. Not playing very well, and Matt Nichols remembering he was Matt Nichols for a game. Anyways, let's uh, let let's move on. Yeah, so we uh, we got a lot to get to in this episode, as uh, the Riders did not look like the Bombers this week, as no. they uh, made the BC Lions nothing. Like they just grinded them into dust. It was one of the more dominant CFL games I think we've seen this year. Um, yeah, it's not very often you can say a forty-eight fifteen score is flattering, but we'll get into it. And it was for the BC Lions, and yeah. you know it effectively ends. Their playoff hopes, I would say. So we'll get into that. We'll talk a little bit again about Stephen McAdoo and kind of you know, the turnaround season he's having offensively and the genius again this week of his play calling versus what we saw last week. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Cody Fajardo and his awareness and how he was smart on that game, not only to you know kind of sit back and take the role, but after he took the hit, he said some things that I really liked and he adjusted to that really fast. And yes, John hinted at it. We are going to talk about the idea of conceding safeties in general, not just one that was obviously very specifically wrong this week by uh, a man who really, in my opinion, should have known better. Yeah, yeah, don't do it. It's bad news bears. Yeah, but uh, before we get to all that, as usual, John, uh, in fake gainer's honor, what is in the glass this week? Uh, it is actually not a blended up blizzard and subway sub. No, in fact... <laughs> that would be nasty. Oh, God, just so bad. Instead, it is the exact opposite of nasty... Had an opportunity to kick back uh, by, by beside my buddy's pool yesterday, uh, so I'm on my way over to my friend's house, stopping at a liquor store. It's summer, it's warm. There's a pool, pile of bones, white IPA. I got one left over from the uh, from the Saturday that we had uh, had yesterday. So you can't go wrong. It is my jam, especially in the summer. Nice and fruity, and it's got that IPA punch, and it's full full of making sure that my rogue had a sleepover at my friend's house yesterday. Oh, that's good. That was smart of you, at least. Hey, well, dude, I, I, that is one thing I do not do. Yeah. I will no, not I, know. Do. I, I can attest to that from, uh, from, my, from my wedding last year. So. Oh, yeah, yeah, where it was either, hey, either you're getting picked up now or at 2 in the morning. Well, shit, I guess I gotta go. <laughs> yeah, and that's that was fair. That was fine. Um, if you like the white IPA, uh, be on the lookout this week up in the Saskatoon area. Nakoma should be making their deliveries of their yeah. uh, hoppy anniversary. It's kind of Ooh. along those lines. So they they is the first beer like they ever brewed, and they bring it back like once a year now for their anniversary, which is coming up. And they're coming up on their fifth, which is uh, really cool. And uh, also be uh, missed if I don't mention, of course, sponsors of the show, the Palabones Brewing Company. Uh, their new tap room is getting closer and closer to opening. Um, I'm hoping to reach out to Glenn to have a little conversation with him on the pod before uh, that happens so we can plug him a little bit. But yeah, yes. 32 uh, local beers and ciders on tap. There's going to be alcohol-free options. There's going to be all kinds of Saskatchewan spirits, uh, Mexican food on site, like authentic Mexican food on site. It's going to be, it is going to be one of the it-dis destinations in Regina. 
So once that's ready, you're definitely going to want to come check that out. And I believe at one point Glenn said he wanted us to do the podcast from there at some point. I told him, like, no one listens to this, but he didn't seem to care. Oh, okay. As long as he doesn't <laughs> care about that. I'm happy to make to make a little Sunday fun day trip down to Regina to check check out the new tap room and record live with you. That'd be that'd be an absolute blast, man. As long as we're doing a Sunday. One yeah. guaranteed day off in the car business. We'll make it happen. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, for me, I've been on a bit of a, a little bit of a kind of an easy drinking beer kick lately myself. I picked up a four pack of uh, Rebellion Blast Off this weekend, kind of a blonde Ooh, ale yes. with a bit of a Pilsner hoppy kick to it. Just uh, a really underrated beer, I think, in this province sometimes. It's one I forget about from time to time, and then I have it, and I'm like, oh, yeah, this this beer is the stuff. It's true. It's it's one that when I let my kid pick what I'm drinking, you know, uh, it's nice at, at most liquor stores here. They have the very nice, like, rebellion almost display, and it's at toddler eye level, and they've got such cool designs on their mm-hmm. cans that I will literally go and say, Max, which one should I get? He calls Blastoff the robot beer. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure robots love it. So. It's it's true. It's got a little a little robot on it, and you got the or the Godzilla one is the monster beer. So yes, that's that's uh, yeah, that's that's how I end up picking what I'm drinking for Rebellion that week. Sounds fair enough. A uh, monster performance by the uh, Saskatchewan Rough Riders over the BC Lions uh, to move to three and three on the season and effectively go up three games on the Lions. And you would have to assume, barring something funky going on, like the Lions actually looking like a respectable football team. Um, their playoff hopes are pretty much dashed at this point. And the Riders, uh, as I wrote on a piece that is yet to be published on 3 Down Nation, it might be by the time you listen to this. You know, I open it by saying objects in mirror are no longer as close as they may appear. As, <laughs> yeah, the Riders essentially just pulled away from the Lions over the last two weeks. And this this game especially, like, I, a lot of people question whether the game in Saskatchewan was a beatdown. I think it was. This one was unequivocally a beatdown, as 48-15 really flattered the BC Lions, if you can believe it or not. Because yeah. I think if not for that procedure call late in the first half that forced them out of short yardage, that led to a missed field goal and the kick return by uh, Ryan Lankford, that game probably would have been like 58 nothing. Oh, yeah. No, it, it was... It was not even. It was not even close. It was one of those that, uh, again, back to my Saturday from the time I left work early, got to the liquor store, showed up my buddy's house. We had the old outdoor TV set up out there, and my wife and kids were already there. Pull up. Um, I take one look at the score and go, "Huh? Well, I guess I don't got to pay that close of attention." Cracked my beers and away we went. It was. It was just. And, and I think too, we talked about it last week, Joel. That how that game never seemed close against no. BC at, in Regina. And th- it was like part two electric boogaloo, definitely a B- BC place. But this time the scoreboard was actually showing how the game was going. The riders were absolutely dominant on what is really like this BC lions team is in a ton of trouble. Like mm-hmm. f- for the, t- <laughs> like you almost look, you look at, you look at Toronto. We all knew Toronto was going to be bad. I don't think we thought BC was going to be be, be this bad. And no. you summed it up best with a tweet that I feel like you need to share. I won't <laughs> even I won't even let the words exit my mouth. It was this quality of a tweet I saw this morning from you. Yeah. So I mean, everyone makes power ranking jokes, and they usually include like Laval or you know the usual suspects in U Sports. But uh, I thought this week I'm like, well. I might put the Lions and the Argos ninth and 10th in my three-down power rankings poll because 
given the expansion draft rules we saw for the Ottawa Red Blacks a few years ago, I can't possibly imagine the Atlantic Schooners being worse than those two football teams currently are. <laughs> I just can't. It's just, and, and that's, oh man, and that's that's just the thing. I, I the, the amount of dough they threw at that team to put butts in the seats this year, and to have it go so wrong, like like I don't, I don't want to see BC struggle because that is a market where entertainment dollars are, are harder to come by and really the white caps are horrifically bad this year and yeah. they might've had a chance to capture some of that. I mean, like, I mean like the, the white caps are basically losing to U sports teams. Oh, and they're a mess off the field too. So, Oh yeah. Like they are an abs, they are a dumpster fire worse than the BC Lions. So I was, I was hopeful. I was optimistic, you know, in terms of, of the team, uh, you know, we, we discuss and the team I cheer for, I didn't want them to be good, but at the same note, like I, I don't, th- I didn't want them to be this bad. Like, like they had a chance to strike while the iron was, the opportunity was all there for them to be relevant in Vancouver this year, and they have just completely blown it. I mean, it proves once again that the most important positions on a football field are often not the guys you're going to go out and buy the jersey for. No. Like it's just their their O line. They made a trade today with with Calgary, hoping to shore that up. But I mean, that O line is bad. That it O line. Is. That O line is, is bad. But there's something else I want to talk about when it comes to the BC Lions. And we yeah. saw the we saw it exposed in this game. Their O line is taking a lot of heat, and fairly so for the number of hits that Mike Riley has taken. I mean, he took two hits in the first two plays of that game. For goodness sakes. Yeah. One was the first one he got the ball off. The second one he was sacked, and I was like, oh boy, here we go again. And yeah. it's funny, after the game, Craig Dickinson said they wanted to give BC the ball first to set the tone defensively, and then BC Crazy. took the ball. So, I mean, they, oh, won, they oh, lost oh. a toss and still got exactly what they wanted. So that's, you know, that's when you know you're in for a, probably in for a pretty good time. But I want to talk about the other side of the line because a lot of focus is on how bad the BC offensive line is. Yeah. I would argue their defensive line is equally as bad. Yes. And no one really talks about it because they got pushed around. And I mean, the Riders have a pretty good offensive line unit, I believe. Yeah. I mean, like this, I was talking to a friend of the show, Dan Plaster, today, that this is like the first time since Brennan Labatt got here and he hasn't been in a lineup that they haven't been a complete disaster up front. And they're actually playing well without him, which is a scary thought for the rest, for a lot of teams in this league, really. And they made that, they had that BC defensive line basically on roller skates for two straight weeks. They didn't get as much really as a finger on Cody Fajardo, except when he was actually running the football. And so that's why they do that. And then game two, we'll talk about Stephen McAdoo a bit. They run wild all over him. I mean, they couldn't stop William Powell if their life depended on it. And so as bad as that offensive line is, it's compounded by the fact that their defensive line is just as bad as their offensive line. Yeah. No, you... (laughs) Pardon me. You're just so allergic to how bad they are. Apparently, like, I kept saying the word bad, and it just filled my nostrils, and out came a sneeze, but you're, you're absolutely right, Joel. Like, that is just, no aspect of the line of scrimmage is good for them. And, yeah. and, you know, occasionally, like, when you look at the Argos that, you know, could legitimately go over for this season, you know, at least they've got some flashes of brilliance, you know. Uh, their defense like, looks okay like, from time to like, time. It, yeah, it, it, exactly. Uh, again, not 
terrifically like not super strong but enough that you know from time to time you're right they are going to give some better teams than them headaches but bc you're right like there is no pressure on the quarterback at all like like mike riley is getting eaten alive and they can't uh, like i don't even think they can they they can't even cough or sneeze on opposing quarterbacks right now like it's just it's a bad time to be in BC and they put all this dough in a Mike Riley. And now you have to wonder, does the organization look at doing something with that Mike Riley contract to strengthen the rest of the team? It's, it might have, they might have to talk about it. I don't, you know, Mike Riley doesn't have to necessarily agree. And I don't think there's necessarily a reason for him to, but I mean, if he's thinking about the, the his own future and his own health, maybe. Um, yeah. But I mean, and this sounds like a lot like we're, you know, we're not giving the Riders credit for that win. I still believe in a I know well, I've heard some people talk, you know, there's the columns are coming out, the talk show hosts are talking about, well, yeah, they've beaten the Lions and the Argos, congratulations. But, yes, yeah. okay, they've only beaten the bad teams in this league. The only other, you know, they were in a game with Ottawa and they're not that good now and all that. But to me, the fact that they beat these bad teams so convincingly suggests to me, and I don't, I'm not sitting here suggesting that they're good by any stretch of the imagination they're probably not elite we just don't know really what their ceiling is yet at this point and that's kind of what i wrote in my column this week is we know that they are significantly better than the bad teams beyond that we don't really know exactly where they fit whether they're in the middle of the pack or the top half of the pack yet that has been yet to find out but there's no reason to believe at the very least they should be in competitive football games the rest of the season just because they've distanced themselves from these two dumpster fire of teams pretty early on and, and no, and and you're at, you're absolutely right with with that assessment, Joel. And, and and you're right. We do need the larger sample size of them up against good, up against good and medium teams. You know, it, it, to me, it's going to come down to where do they stack up against the Ottawa's, Montreal's of the world, and even now Jeremiah Mazzoli, less Hamilton Tiger Cats. That you go, okay, what's the pecking order there? And yes, I know those are the three East Division clubs, but you can still put. I still especially, you know, with the presumed return of Bo Levi Mitchell at some point, I still have them behind, obviously, Edmonton and to a degree Calgary, even though they're not that far back in the standings. Um, I mean, I think we all knew the West Division was going to be good, but now Mm. pile on some quarterback injuries and stuff, and it's starting to look like, yeah, if a crossover team isn't making it to the Grey Cup this year, I don't know when that is going to happen, but... Yeah, and I mean, um, this, is is all, a... this is all because we don't know much about Dane Evans at this point. And maybe he's like Cody Fajardo when he comes in and the team's fine. Right. And you're, and, and you're absolutely right on that, too. And that's why I think Thursday's game is very intriguing to me. Because obviously mm-hmm. without Jeremiah Mazzoli, um, the Ticats have taken a step back. You know? oh, no question. They, no wanna, question. they lost a 50-50 game to Ottawa. What's going to happen now against Hamilton that's taken a step back? So that, to me, is... How is this? How is this all going to to come about and, and stay about? And yeah, it's it's interesting to me now how how this is going to shake down. Yeah, well, it'll only play out in real time. We'll see what happens. But I think what's really interesting about this team right now is we're seeing, and uh, you know, we have to do this again. We're going to have to praise Stephen McAdoo, and this is going to be the opposite of pretty much everything we talked about last year. So if you yeah. still hate Stephen McAdoo, go ahead and listen to last year's podcast and you'll get, to live in your, <laughs> you'll get to live in your echo chamber forever and you'll be happy. Because right now, he has just dialed in the last few weeks and what they're... Basically, the Calgary game aside and the first game against Hamilton aside, because 
Claros went down early, and that you know that happens. Yeah. You throw in your backup quarterback, everything kind of changes, and it gets you know a cluster, and you don't really know what's going on. But against Ottawa, you know, against basically against everyone but Hamilton and Calgary, the offense has looked pretty good to great. Yeah, and they've done it in a variety of ways, which is interesting because I think they're showing now offensively, whichever way they need to beat you, they can do it because we saw. Last week against the Lions, they aired out, they took the kill shots, they took the big plays, and they won the football game. The next week, BC kind of tried to guard against that, so McAdoo's like, okay, we're just going to take six yards every time, go all the way down the field, and just crush your hopes and dreams with soul-crushing drive after soul-crushing drive. And that's that's pretty much what they did, especially especially in that la- the, essentially the last drive of the game before Mike Riley got pulled, the only last drive really that mattered. That drive was just, mwah, just perfection beautiful we're just going to crush your soul and end this game football it was just it was amazing to watch and, and, and you're absolutely right Joel the the ability and, and showing the riders have the talent the resources and the ability to just go ahead and shift gears from week to week you know they don't have to necessarily you know depend on Cody Fajardo throwing for 400 yards to win a game you know they're able to do what they did against BC and such a great ball control offense and and just take up all the time in the world and you're right just suck the souls out of the BC Lions in in what they were able to do and and that to me that ability is so important it's such Mm -hmm. it's such a trademark of some championship winning football game football teams right like if you're Hamilton your game film from the past two weeks shows that okay with Cody Fajardo in there, because he's actually has an arm as opposed to a noodle, you have to honor the deep ball. But 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 if you look back to you know this most recent game, you also have to watch out for the run and soul crushing drive. So it, it, it's allowing the team to be nebulous and, and change things up. And again, I, I think it goes back to you know a point I've 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 said before that I don't know if McAdoo. Like, I'm at this point, based on his track record in Saskatchewan, I'm willing to call him a very good offensive coordinator that got stuck with a shitty quarterback for a season. Or at least a guy he didn't trust. A guy he he clearly did not. You're right. He did. He trusted Kevin Glenn. He had more trust in Brandon Bridge. In year one, at least, yeah. Clear, yeah, Exactly. Yeah, that's what I'm. T- I'm talking about the first year where yep. Glenn and Bridge had that kind of hybrid thing going on. Yep. You bring you bring in Caleros, and legitimately, he looks like he couldn't call his way out of a paper bag. Mm-hmm. Like it's just like he, he brings in Caleros, and everybody's going, "What?" Everybody's calling for his head, and, and even I was. I mean, like, hell, you and I for an entire season last year were going, "What the hell is this guy doing?" Mm-hmm. And then he gets a couple pieces. Yep. One, you know, gifted to him in Cody Fajardo from the Zach Caleros injury, and two, William Powell, and all of a sudden, he looks like he knows what the hell he's doing again. So, <laughs> again, I and it's funny there was there is anybody that's saying that 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 Zach Caleros should be anything other than a backup quarterback in Saskatchewan right now. Like, it, it, it's a it's an asinine and terrible take, and I know bad takes. I've had many. Yeah, the the idea that you can't lose your job to injury has a lot of gray area. And I think, especially at the quarterback position, because it's so important, and at the end of the day, yes, you know what? You prefer to give a guy a shot to come back from when he comes back from injury. Like, in the, you look at the, this, the two perfect examples exist right now in the CFL. 
Yeah. Look at what's going on in Calgary without Bo Levi Mitchell. Yes, Nick Arbuckle is playing well, and he could win them football games. He could probably even win them a playoff game if they had to. But yes. when Bo Levi Mitchell comes back, Bo Levi Mitchell is still the quarterback of that team because he's always been playing at an elite level before that. In yeah, Saskatchewan, and, and, Cody Fajardo right. is playing well without Zach Caleros. Before that, he wasn't really. He was fine, but Cody Fajardo has taken his game to another level that Zach Caleros was not at. And as we've talked about on this show a number of times, this if the goal is to essentially be good this year and then competitive for a Grey Cup next year, I think Cody Fajardo is the guy you invest more of your time in than Zach Caleros. Sorry, Zach. Thanks for everything you've done to, for this team on and off the field. You're welcome to be the backup quarterback if you're healthy enough. Healthy enough. If not, we will gladly grant you your release, basically. Yeah, and, and I and that's absolutely the, the route they need to take. You're absolutely right, Joel. I mean, there is not a person in the world. I mean, <laughs> and, and you and I, you and I are numbers guys. You mm-hmm. and I are aren't aren't traditional eye test guys. But when I am a little more in football argument, than I am hockey, but yeah. No, that's true. But but I mean, when the only argument that that you saw from the pro Zach Calero side mm-hmm. was he wins games. And that's it. That that seemed to be the only argument for Zach Caleros. There there was no saying, yeah, well, his completion percentage, yeah, well, he, he did this. No, legitimately, the only argument in favor of Zach Caleros was, well, he doesn't lose us games. So that's absolutely why this should be Cody Fajardo's team from mm-hmm. here on in. Now, that's, that being said, there is a chance that, you know, if Zach is able to come back, Cody Fajardo's, I, I, don't, I don't see it happening from what I've watched of Cody Fajardo so far. Mm-hmm. Um is he still going to have bad games through the season? Yeah, Absolutely. he is. He's a Absolutely. young quarterback. Yeah. But he's not going to go full dumpster fire and start. That is the only way. Like, if he loses them six games in a row or, or makes some Rick Campbell-esque terrible decisions on, on the field for several games in a row and Zach's ready, that's the only time that conversation should be had. But I, yeah. I, I just I, – I'd be bewildered if that happened because even in the losses, he's looked pretty decent. Yeah, and he's learned. He's learned a lot from everything he's gone through, and he seems to, he just he just seems to be really smart. And I think, I think a lot of time he spent a lot of time behind two of the pros, pros of this league, in Ricky yeah. Ray and Travis Luley, and I think that probably helped them a lot coming into this situation. And what really something that really impressed me, and I wrote about it again, this little blurb was on Cody Fajardo. He talked to he talked to at halftime to Farhan about the hit he took. And, you know, he could have, you know, the the old school football guy would say, yeah, that's great. You know, I'm, you know, I'm showing the team, you know, I'm doing everything I can to get that yard. But then he took a step back and realized that the team needs him to win football games. And if he's taking hits like that, he's probably not going to be playing forever. So he can't afford to take hits like that. And he said, that was selfish. I need to be smarter and slide. And what does he do? Like the first drive that they get the ball into the second half he takes off and runs, and after about five yards, and the guy's closing in, he slides. And now it's yeah. just like, "Bravo, Cody! You were you have that you have such it was such a smart thing to say, and to follow it up instantly was just like, yeah, this guy gets it. This guy this guy has a head on his shoulders. Well, well, absolutely, and, and, and like both of us being you know media guys, you know to be able to look at a guy that gives a smart answer rather than just token, you, you know pro athlete bs and then follow it up like you're right i i am i am more and more becoming a fan of cody 
Fajardo. Every single day. Oh, there's nothing. There's not. There isn't anything to not like about the guy, really. I mean, you you watch his scrums after the games. He's he's not super entertaining or, in, or super insightful, but he's clearly trying to give you something of value a little bit at least. And he just everything about him just seems to work well. He seems to have the respect of his teammates. He's able to control the huddle. He's able to make adjustments at the lines and get guys into the right places. And I think he earned the trust of. Stephen McAdoo very fast. I believe it was that basically that what was it, a quarter he played in that first preseason yep. game, and he didn't like the world on fire, but he made every single throw that he was asked to make, and he made them well. And he threw, you know, he threw all the outs, he threw all the screens, he threw all the hitches. And McAdoo likes to run, and he's like, okay, I know you have the arm, but now you just prove to me that you can do this too. And that's when that trust started to develop. Yeah. Oh, 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 certainly. And and you could certain and you could see it. You'd almost watch it grow from when he came in. Uh, I, I, when Zach Kolaris went down on literally the the third play of the season, uh, and you could watch it grow game by game. And this looks like his team. This looks like a team that his 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 teammates believe in him. His coaching staff believes in him. And uh, I, I again, I, I'm feeling much more optimistic about you know the Riders quarterback situation than many of the teams in the league are right now. Oh, absolutely! I, I, that you, there's so many teams like Ottawa's a mess. Like we don't really know yeah. if Dom Davis is actually a good quarterback. We know Jonathan right. Jennings at this point isn't. We don't know who yes. Dane Evans really is at this point. We know who David Watford is. I don't think he's going to be much of a backup really for Dane Evans. No. Um, you know, like Vernon Adams Jr. is the most qualified quarterback in the East right now, and this is no shot to Vernon Adams, who I think has bounced around enough and is going to be the guy in Montreal. But if that's the top quarterback in division right now, it's like, whew, okay. You know, Nick Arkbuckle looks good, but, I mean, they still have Bo. Trevor Harris, there's still something about him. I, I don't know what it is. I just don't believe he can truly get a team over the hump. That's just my thought. And Mike yeah. Riley has zero support. So really, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, now now we're talking, and, and let's not forget that Matt Nichols will sometimes remember he's Matt Nichols as evidence this week against Hamilton. So this has been, it's basically like you're right. Like I, Trevor Harris is like, in the regular season. I think Trevor Harris is going to be just fine and is mm-hmm. going to end up throwing for a bunch of yards and stuff. But like gun to my head I have to pick a quarterback that's not Bo Levi Mitchell to win me a game in the CFL right now I I don't know what the answer is Mm -hmm. is it Matt Nichols that's kind of terrifying probably it might be I mean I think he's been he's probably been the most consistent quarterback this season yeah but yeah he just you just you think about that right now and you go huh this is Huh. It's 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 amazing that heading into the season with all the big names and the movement and everything like that, that this is where we're at for CFL quarterbacks. Like I suddenly am reminded of the days of Nilon Green and Michael Bishop and you know some of those guys that you looked across the league and went, Is is anybody here good? Yeah, and, and I mean this is it's kind of been happening a little bit in the NFL too. We're starting to finally yeah. see that next wave of quarterbacks starting to come up a little bit because I was honestly getting worried there for a little bit when there was oh, yeah. there was a, such a dry spell of guys coming out of the draft and I was like, and it, this would affect the the CFL too. And I was just like, are we headed towards like a quarterback crisis in football where these teams can't find anyone? 
but the NFL is starting to figure it out, yeah, and right? I think I think the CFL teams will get there as well. Guys, it's a lot harder in the CFL, especially you know when you're you're you essentially relying on Americans to adjust to the game up here. Um, yeah, but it's going to get there, and there's there's some there's still some young and promising guys in this league too. So overall, I think they will get there. Um, so we're going to talk about this now. There's no there's no way to talk about to transition out of that really. Um, Rick Campbell. <laughs> what are you doing, bro? Like you are a smart coach that's been around the CFL forever, and yeah. like you literally grew up in this league with your dad as a coach in this league. Yes, and you made easily one of the dumbest decisions I had ever seen. It's a decision that maybe would have made June Jones last year blush, considering some of the moves that he made. It makes Jason Ma's obsession with kicking on first down down ten. Look like child's play, in terms of poor decisions. Yeah, <laughs> never it, ever, it, and never ever 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 should you concede a safety when you're only up four. And we will argue the point right now that you should never can ever, let I me mean not ever ever concede a safety. The only spot I will ever be okay with a team conceding a safety is if if you're up three scores or more and you're just deep in your own end zone. And you're like, screw it, whatever. We're up forty. Who cares? Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, see, and I'm, I'm with you. I am largely with you. Um, it, it legitimately makes me think of the great Bart Andrews for a minute. Was he was perhaps Rick Campbell's soul? Was was the soul of Bart Andrews in Rick Campbell's head at that very moment? I did not see him having a sickly orange tan, so I was a little, you know, maybe thrown off. But I'm with you. Never do it. That now to me. If you're up, if at the end of it, you are still up two scores, depending on the circumstance, I don't hate it in that one specific spot. Mm-hmm. Every other point in the football game, it is a terrible, terrible, terrible decision. And although conventional football wisdom says you should always do it, and again, I get the CFL and NFL are completely different games, completely different products. Why the hell don't you see NFL teams ever do it? They literally, they literally never do it. You can see, you know, there's teams that are on their two-yard line and they don't have their full seven yards to make the snap, and they're still doing it. Yeah. So, <laughs> so why would we in the CFL, with an athlete that is just as good in a much larger end zone and a lot more time to run around, why would we ever do it? At the, at the end of the day, you're basically, you're you're damn near a, a assuredly giving up five points. Yeah. It doesn't, it, because you have a disadvantage on the following kickoff. You're giving up two points. You're then 10 yards back on the kickoff. So you're handing the other team instant field position, especially in the CFL. Now, the argument is, well, trust your defense. Yeah, trust your defense to stop somebody at your own forty to forty-five yard line. What's you and I were talking about this off air? The, like, isn't it? It's a below thirty percent chance from yeah. 40? It was it was a um, friend of the show, writers play by play man Derek Taylor, who wrote the piece on uh, I believe it's called Canadian Football Perspective. He crunched some numbers as he does, and based on the data that he had available over the last number of years, teams from that spot score a touchdown about twenty-seven percent of the time where Calgary started that drive. But, <laughs> but, like, that's that's tiny. Mm-hmm. 
So, Especially, and then you consider the extra factors that aren't you know, that are like eye test and analytical, not so much analytical. And the fact is, Nick Arbuckle hadn't thrown a touchdown pass all game. Yeah, and it is yeah. significantly harder to score a touchdown, even if you start them at your thirty yard line, yes. compared to kicking a field goal because. One, you need more yards, and two, you actually have to get across the goal line where space starts to get tighter and tighter and tighter as you get closer to the end zone. You give the, you give the kick, all of a sudden, you know, okay, they're at their, let's say, I don't even remember where it started, say their 55, their 50-yard line, which was roughly where it was, I believe, and you only need, you know, to get into Rene Paradis' line, his, you know, his range, you only really need to get to the Ottawa, like, 48. Yeah. So... And, 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 and this, again, you're putting the game on the line of one of the greatest kickers in CFL history to mm-hmm. go out and, and do what he had done for most of the night. Like, like there's no way he's going to miss that. Like, it's just it was it was so bad on so many levels. Like, I again, I'm not sitting here that Rick Campbell should lose his job, but you no. definitely have to. Like, I think he went from being a guy that was pretty secure in his job to all of a sudden it's like. When you're doing the exit interview, they can go back and go, yeah, remember that decision? We don't trust you anymore, right? It, it, it was so baffling and bizarre. And and again, you know, like even even you look when, it, when a game goes to overtime and you're playing the shootout and you're starting from the other team's 35. Under the logic of, of, of the coaches that, that, that decide to kick it out of the end zone, shouldn't there be a touchdown then on like, every single shootout in overtime and there certainly isn't like it's mm-hmm. just I, the numbers say don't do it the NFL doesn't do it perhaps coaches should pull their heads over their ass and stop doing it it just it makes no sense no and we saw another example of not doing it in the Ryder game where yeah. you know they conceded I believe it was 5 nothing at the time and then they conceded the two points and then the kick is returned for a touchdown. <laughs> so exactly, I mean that's that's, that's exactly like that's it. the extreme worst case scenario that happens even less than a touchdown drive, but still, it just makes it just compounds everything even more so. And you and you can't look at the outcome for why it's yeah. a bad decision. Like you certainly can't because it's always outliers like that kick return touchdown. But at the end of the day, the numbers suggest don't do it. And but, but even, if you make even, the right smart decision based on the numbers over the course of, you know, a longer period of time, it's going to work in your favor. But strictly based on outcome, you can see the safety. Your worst case scenario is nine points. Mm -hmm. You punt it out of your end zone. Your worst case scenario is seven points. Yeah. It's a friggin' no brainer. Oh, I agree. A hundred percent. But I know there's a lot of old football. I don't know. It's a triple. Yeah, well, I mean, maybe one day, maybe one day we'll finally get some coach uh, coaches. Like, I, I don't, I don't remember Chris Jones ever giving up a lot of safeties in the end zone. No, I think you're right. I, I don't remember him doing that a lot. Um, come to think of it, I do think it's on the downward trend. Mm-hmm. But it's still, it, this is a trend that should just go away tomorrow. Like, it just, it makes, it has never made sense to me. And and I'm sure you'll have some old school football people that'll say, oh, no, it makes perfect. But I'm also I also think that you should go for it 
on third or fourth down within, you know, a reasonable distance every single damn time. Oh, yeah, for sure, 100%. Like, I'm, like, I, I, you and I both are very much in agreement when we're, like, we're very aggressive mindset when it comes to football. I hate, oh, yeah. I, there's nothing, I, there's very few things in football I decide more than teams getting to, like, the three-yard line and then kicking a field goal. I'm just like, oh, yes. come on, guys. Like, yeah. come on. Just go for it. <laughs> or, or, or the teams or the teams that punt in kind of that gray area, you know, mm-hmm. that, that, that between the 40s almost. Yeah. I shouldn't say between the 40s, but, like, that, that area in which you're like, well, it's kind of too long for a kick, but then you're hoping, like, for the coffin corner to not net out 20 yards. That's another time I think that people should be going for it. But it, you're right. It's going to take, to me, it is going to take a new breed of coach a guy that you know thinks in in outcome and math and probability and thing like things like that rather than just this is the way we've always done it and yeah. until we see that we're going to see incidents like the Rick Campbell incident although the way he was universally criticized maybe coaches will think twice but i still i hate it a single worst coaching decision i've seen in years yeah and uh, you know a lot about that bad decisions 